Here we are, message 11 of a total of 15 messages through our series, Life Coach. Now, I want to begin by just sharing with you some things that I learned about life coaching in general, some facts. Uh, First off, life coaching is the second fastest profession, growing profession in the world. It's a $2 billion industry. According to the Bureau of Labor Studies, Uh, Life coaching is increasing by 575,000 jobs annually. More than 30 universities have added life coaching to their curricula, including Harvard, Penn State, and Cal Berkeley, just to mention a few. Life coaches, they're hired, and they identify and pursue goals in your life through a steady rotation of encouragement, brutal honesty, resourcing, and perspective. Life coaches address just about every topic imaginable, as I've learned, for their clients. They'll talk about marriage, family, business, attitude, self-esteem, finances, friendship, public speaking, health, spiritual life, estate planning, and the list goes on and on and on. Watch this. Life coaches earn anywhere from $25 an hour to $500 per hour. The average life coach in the United States earns $200 per hour. Why do I say all of that? Because the bottom line is I am not charging you nearly enough for this series (laughs) on life coaching. I realize that. Just think about it, okay? So our life coach is not me, it's Paul. As we've been learning, the book of 2 Timothy, the last book that Paul penned, He did so writing this book to Timothy, and it contains all these nuggets, this life coaching advice to this young pastor, and by extension to us as well. And this morning, we come to the 11th amazing topic, which I've never preached on in my entire life in quite the way we're going to look at this. It's very unique. It's the most negative passage with a positive intent that there is in all 2 Timothy. It's very fascinating in many ways, and it's going to be very interesting to uncover this for you. And it's summarized by this. This is the advice. This is the life coach lesson for you, and Paul's not even charging you for it. It's have nothing to do with certain people. Can you say that with me? Have nothing to do with certain people. Wow, it's interesting. You know, I can remember... uh, times when my parents would say, Mark, and probably you had this as well, I would bring a certain friend home and they would just go, that guy is not good. Just stay away from them. And sometimes I would listen to my parents, other times I would not, and usually when I didn't, I would get into a lot of trouble. How many of you could relate to that, you know? And I, one wrong friendship can really bring a lot of pain to your life. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And Paul's going to be talking about that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And I'm sure all of us have stories in our past when we shouldn't have hung out maybe with someone and they influenced us in kind of a negative area. But Paul's life coach lesson to Timothy and to us today is not about our past. It's about learning something for our present as well as our future, and it's very important. So let's read about this life coach lesson, 
Let's start in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Hopefully you're there, you're there. And let's read. Paul says, but mark this. There will be ter terrible times in the last days. Now you tell me, are we in the last days? And Paul right here, he's going to point out 21 traits that will characterize the last days. And he says, mark this, Timothy. There's going to be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. They'll be hedonists. Lovers of money, materialists. Boastful, proud, abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, without love. Unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not lovers of the good. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Then he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And then look at the warning. Have nothing to do with them. It's one Greek word, that phrase, apotrero, is the Greek word. And it literally means turn away from them. And it's in the middle voice, which means, Timothy, you have to work hard and force yourself to turn away from them. Make yourself turn away from them. This is a very important principle this morning, and we need to understand what this is saying. It's a strong statement. Now, sometimes I'll hear uh, certain people say, you know, Christians, they're not supposed to judge. I mean, Jesus said, do not judge. And that's true. But if you study the context where Jesus made that statement in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus is talking about superficial, surface shallow judgment based not on knowing the truth or the facts or the depth of information you should know about someone before you make a judgment. There are multiple other places where Jesus exhorts us to judge. In Luke 12, verse 57, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right, Jesus said. In John 7, 24, stop judging by mere appearance and make a right judgment. 1 Corinthians 6.3, Paul said, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Now the point here, just kind of introduction, is this. Believers, because I got to attack this political correctness that's out there. Believers are flat out called to use their judgment, to be judgmental with a righteous discernment with a deep, full knowledge about others and come to a strong conclusion. Paul says, have nothing to do with certain people. And then he goes on to describe these certain people a little bit more. Look, if you would, at verses 6 and following. He says, have nothing to do with them. And then he says, they are. He's kind of still amplifying who we're not to have anything to do with. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as faith is concerned are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Again, the most negative scripture in all 2 Timothy but there's a positive intent. But the warning, 
you see here have nothing to do with them. Now, what we see here in this passage that just rises to the surface is Paul gives us three types of people in these verses that we have nothing to do with. And if you start having something to do with these kind of people, whoa, what it does to you, but what it also does to them, what it does to the church, what it does to your family, very important lesson. Number one, we should have nothing to do with a claimer whose life denies they are a Christian. Now, all of us know who a claimer is. So let me, I want to define this. If for some reason, it's not something that you're connecting the dots with. This is very important. A claimer is someone who claims they are a Christian, but in reality, they are not a Christian. Do you know anyone like that? Someone who is self-deceived. They think they are a Christian, but you know because of your discernment. There is no way that guy, that gal is a Christian. And Paul is telling us in these five verses that this is what society is going to look like in these last days. These 21 corrupt character qualities that we just read in verses 1 to 4 are going to characterize society. But then on top of it all, you're going to have some of these people living out these traits actually claim they are Christians, but their life will deny that reality. And Paul is saying, Timothy, have nothing to do with those type of claimers. Look at verse 5 again. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Why? These kind of claimers, they'll corrupt the church. They'll corrupt your marriage. They'll corrupt your family. They'll corrupt your kids. They'll corrupt other Christians. And it's not the best thing you can do for them, which we'll talk about a little bit later, to accept them when, this, where they're, when they're in this kind of state. I want you to see how this principle is, is seen in many other places of Scripture, but just one in particular. Go to 1 Corinthians. Turn to the left in your Bibles. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 9 through 13. It's going to take the entire message for you to really get a profile of what we're talking about. So just be patient with your own thinking as you process this. I'm going to build a case, and it's not going to become clear to you until we get to the very end of this message. But 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we see this principle also described in Scripture where Paul says this in verse 9. I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, here we have it. Don't be around these people. Don't associate with them. Then, but then he clarifies, not at all meaning the people of this world who are, or, who are immoral or the greedy or the swindler or the adulterer. In that case, you would have to leave this world. Paul's saying, I don't want you to associate with certain people, but he's saying, I'm not talking about non-Christians. You associate with non-Christians. Even if they're immoral, it doesn't matter. You're called to be salt and light around them. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother. If someone calls himself a Christian but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler, well, such a person don't even eat with that kind of person. Whoa. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside, those who claim they're Christians? God will judge those outside, non-believers, 
expel this wicked man from among you. Wow. We see we are, as Christians, called to judge and even expel certain claimers from our lives. It's called tough love, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a bit. Why? For that claimer's good do you do this. For the church's purity, for other Christians' good, for the testimony of the church. Now, I want to I slowly dive our way into deep waters here to understand this. So I want you to talk at your tables here about some of the reasons you've discovered in your life why this is important, and this is how I'd like you to come at it. Here's your question. Can you share about a time when you had something to do with a claimer and you paid the price for that because you got too close? I know that's a little ambiguous, but I want you to tackle it the best you're able at your tables. Go ahead and talk about that. Go for it. Okay, we are talking about three types of people that we should have nothing to do with. Wow, that's a strong statement. We should have nothing to do with a claimer whose life denies that they are a Christian. Second, we should have nothing to do with a claimer who consistently takes advantage of others. See, the second type of person we should have nothing to do with is a person who claims to be a Christian, but they are constantly taking advantage of, watch this, other vulnerable Christians. Now, in the church, there are always groups of people who are vulnerable. Today, they might be widows, the elderly, little children, the disabled, could be teenagers, could be recently divorced individuals. It could be a brand new Christian, a young Christian. And in Timothy's day, though, it was a certain group of women in his church, who recently came to Christ, they were saved out of that pagan culture in Ephesus, and they were being taken advantage of. And listen to what was happening. You just have to use your imagination. They are the kind, now again, Paul's saying, have nothing to do with certain people, Timothy, and he elaborates on who these people are. He says, they are the kind, these are the kind you want to avoid, who avoid they're the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins. These women, and this is a description of the women, these were weak-willed women. These were women that were just saved and they were confused and, and they're swayed by all kinds of evil desires. They were learning but never able to really acknowledge the truth. They were struggling with their faith. And the scripture says there are certain men who were worming their ways into. Wow. That Greek word, worm their way into, is andino. It literally means to creep into. It means to slither into. So in Timothy's church, there were these certain <laughs> creepy men who would slither into various homes because the church back then was in homes, and, and they would gain control over certain vulnerable women who were most likely just recently saved. Now, over my years of ministry, and I've been in ministry many, many years, I have, I've seen everything imaginable in the church. I've seen men claiming to be Christians who creep in 
seeking to take advantage of women sexually, whether they are married or not married. I've seen that. I've seen women claiming to be Christians who seek in, slither in, and take advantage of men and wreck their marriages, their families. I've seen it both ways. I've seen claimers, certain ones who claim to be Christians, they seek to worm their way into younger, vulnerable Christians' lives and lead them into a Bible study in a home. And I mean teach false doctrine we would never uphold here at our church. I, I, I've seen it in many, many different forms. And Paul's saying to Timothy and to us, have nothing to do with a claimer who consistently, watch this, takes advantage of others. Hmm. A few months ago, uh, on a Sunday, uh, Tracy and I went out to lunch afterwards at a Thai restaurant. My wife loves Thai food. Anyone here love Thai food? She loves Top Thai. We're at Top Thai, and across from Top Thai uh, were all these cars. And we looked out the window, we saw this exact car that our youngest son, Luke, has been looking for. And we're like, ah, they're for sale. And so I went over, I'm like, this car looks so clean. I wrote down the number, went home, and I called the guy. I go, hey, I go, I just saw, he goes, I just put it out this morning. And I'm like, wow. I go, well, I'm Mark. I go, this is the type of car, the exact car we've been looking for my son. And uh, I go, I'm, I'm, he goes, well, he goes, it's going to sell. It's going to sell today. And I go, I can imagine it's beautiful. And I said, here's the thing, I'm a pastor. Um, And he goes, well, I'm a Christian. And he goes, yeah, I go to church and everything. I go, wow. I go, that's cool. I go, well, it's the exact car we're looking. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? I said, first of all, are you the first owner of the car? He goes, no, I'm the second owner. I go, but you're the owner? Yeah, yeah, I'm the owner. I go, okay. And I go, is, second, is there anything wrong with the car at all that you're aware of? I just want to really have a good sense of what's going on with the car. And he goes, this car is so clean. There is absolutely nothing wrong with it. I go, wow, if that's the case, I will buy it and we'll pay full price for it, just exactly what you're, you're asking. I go, here's the thing. I'm teaching a seminar today. It was on Sunday. I go, I can't be there, but, uh, but my older son, Josh, who knows about cars, uh, will come with his younger son, Luke, with all the cash, and if everything works out, it's all clean, we'll buy the car. So anyway, I go teach my seminar, and I'm coming home ready to see this car in the driveway for Luke, and I walk in, and there's Josh. And Josh goes, Dad, <laughs> he goes, this was unreal. I go, what do you mean? He goes, number one, uh, he was not the owner of the car. It wasn't even in his name. And second, that car had so many problems. The headliner was ripped. There were major oil leaks throughout the car. The steering alignment was so jacked up, it was a joke trying to just even drive it down the street. And I was like, whoa, are you serious? I mean, what pained me most is this guy claimed to be a Christian. This was a guy who claimed he was a Christian, and he was clearly out to take advantage of someone. There are so many potential forms that this can take. In the church where Timothy was pastoring, the form it was taken was pretty insidious. Guys taking you know, advantage of women. Um, wow. I'd like you to talk about this at your tables. Can you share about a time... When you should have stayed away, but maybe you got too close, and someone may have taken advantage of you, and they claimed they were a Christian. Talk about that.
So Paul says to Timothy and to us, there are certain people you should have nothing to do with. And we're looking at three traits. Number one, you should have nothing to do with a claimer whose life denies they're a Christian. You should have nothing to do with a claimer who consistently takes advantage of others. Third type of person. We should have nothing to do with a claimer who is constantly opposed to the truth. This is a person who claims to be a Christian, but they're constantly opposed to the truth. And the truth is Jesus, he's the truth, and the Bible is the truth. Thy word is truth. Now, one of the wonderful qualities true Christians possess is mercy and grace and kindness and compassion and understanding and patience toward people. These are wonderful qualities that we are called to exercise But these qualities can also get us into all sorts of trouble if we are not careful. We are called to exercise these qualities, but we are not called to exercise these virtues toward a claimer who is consistently opposed to the truth of God's word or opposed to Jesus Christ. What should we do with such a person? It's called tough love. It's called actually have nothing to do with them. Paul, he now gives us a very concrete example of this type of opposing person who we should distance ourselves from. And he says there in verse 8, he says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, he's, he's describing these guys. So also these men opposed the truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as faith is concerned, are rejected. Now, Janice and Jambres, uh, do you remember what Moses did with Janice and Jambres? Uh, they're not mentioned by name in the Old Testament. But the name Janice literally means he who seduces, and the name Jambres means one who makes rebellion. Wow. <laughs> Isn't Scripture amazing? The color it gives just to a name and what that repre- repre- represents to us. Now, who were these two guys? Well, there was a Jewish tradition that said they were two Egyptian magicians who opposed Moses and who helped lead the children of Israel to worship the golden calf while Moses was on Mount Sinai. And how did Moses deal with them? Tradition says they were among the 3,000 slaughtered by the Levites at the command of Moses in Exodus 32, verse 28. That's the best description of everything I studied that I could give to you Probably about who those guys were. Paul's point, regardless, is we should have nothing to do with the Jannies and Jambres type of claimer who consistently opposes the truth, just like Moses had nothing to do with them. And you look at verse 8 again. Just as Jannies and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men oppose the truth. They oppose Jesus, they oppose the Bible. Men of depraved minds, that is, they're unregenerate. They have a corrupt mind who, as far as the faith is concerned, where's their standing with God? They're rejected. In other words, because they've rejected Jesus, Jesus has rejected them. They do not have a genuine faith. Even though they claim they're Christians, they're not. And verse 9 goes on to say, but they will not get very far. Because as in the case of those men, Janus and Jambres, 
Their folly will be clear to everyone. It's just a matter of time until their true color shows, and you can discern these are false Christians out to take advantage. And like Jesus said in Matthew 7, 16, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. How do you know if someone's a Christian or not? By their fruit, you'll recognize them. You need to use discernment is what Paul's telling Timothy and us. You know, a powerful verse on this theme is 2 Thessalonians 3.15, where Paul says, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, that is, they're a Jambres and Jambres, a Janus and Jambres type, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Wow, that's the spirit behind why you would exercise tough love towards someone. Ultimately, you want them to come to the Lord. You see, one of the greatest ways you can serve someone, watch this, another way to phrase it, who is playing a game with God, is to show them tough love. Now, in a second, I'm going to give you some illustrations of this in my own life and in others' lives and really bring out the full color of what this means to us when we walk out these doors in a little bit. But first, I want you to talk about this because some of you have been on the receiving end of tough love and it made all the difference in your life. And I want you to talk about that. That is, someone stood up to you. Someone distanced themselves from you because you were playing a game with God and it was a turning point in your life. And I want you to talk about that. Can you share about a time when you were playing a game with God and someone showed you tough love and it was the greatest thing they could have done? Talk about that. Go for it. Okay. So great to go through life with a life coach. That's the Holy Spirit. It's God's Word. And it's even the Apostle Paul. And he's given you an amazing principle that, watch this, sometimes we struggle with implementing this, and some Christians never get this. And there's times I struggle with this, the application of it, just being honest. But it's an amazing truth. It's priceless, this advice is. Because it can save your, save your family, it can save your kids, it can save your marriage. But it's not enough just to know it here. You've got to apply it in your life. If you're a man, you have to show leadership here in this area. The, the principle is have nothing to do with certain people. Wow. I've never had a title in a sermon like that before, but that's the core of what Paul is saying here. We see the phrase have nothing to do with certain people. It seems so unloving. Isn't the Bible and God about loving people? This is a form of love. That's the problem. We are so politically correct today. This is love. Sometimes not having to do anything with someone who's flat out rebelling against God is the most loving thing you can do for them. That's the whole point of what Paul is trying to teach Timothy and us. And Paul gives us three types of people we should have nothing to do with. It's actually one type of person with manifesting three things that just show the type of person that this is that you really need to think about tough love toward. You have nothing to do with the claimer. 
whose life denies they're a Christian. Nothing to do with a claimer who consistently takes advantage of others. I mean consistently. I have nothing to do with the claimer who is consistently opposed to the truth of Jesus and God's word. July 27, 1981 was the day my life was absolutely changed. It was the day I was saved. I woke up in the morning not knowing Jesus, and I went to bed knowing Jesus. How's that? That's a great day. Greatest day of my life. I was 20 years old at the time. This church, Three Crosses, was praying for me. My parents were praying for me constantly. I went water skiing early that morning on a Sunday, and I was involved in a, a bad accident, a water ski accident. It almost took this eye. It actually cut my eye wide open. Not my eyeball, but just around it. And in a pool of blood in the water. I was taken to the hospital and stitched up and, and then brought home. And uh, my dad looked at me and he warned me not to go water skiing on a Sunday. And he just said, well, I kind of told you that wasn't the best idea. And I just kind of was a little bewildered by that. This was when I was living at the ranch. So we were at, I was at, we have two homes in a ranch. And I was at the other smaller home, and at then there was a girl that I was thinking about marrying, and uh, she, she ended up breaking up with me with big old, I'm still wiped out, I was at the lo, a real low point, and she, uh, she was just saying, Mark, uh, it's over. <laughs> I can't trust you, you're just this wild guy, and I'm like, it kind of came out of nowhere. Just then the phone rang, it was my dad, and he said, Mark, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, Dad, can it wait? And he goes, no, I need to talk to you. And so I walked from the one house to the larger house where my dad was, and he sat me down, he just said, Mark, he goes, I love you, but I can't let you go on playing games with God and with this family, and you're nowhere with the Lord. You have one week, and I want you out of our house. And it was the hardest thing if you ask him today, that he ever had to say to a son he loves. It's called tough love. And I was just shocked, you know, by everything. My eye almost gone, the girl leaving me, my dad saying this. And you have to know how hard my heart was and how stubborn. And I walked up to that room, and the first time, I think really in my whole life, I wept. I was broken. Finally, I was broken. And in that puddle of tears, it hit me that there is a God who's using all of this to get my attention. And God in that moment revealed himself to me as being real. And I said, are you kidding me? You are real? You're trying to get my attention? You love me this much? If you're real and you will save me, I will serve you. I will tell the world about you. I had no idea. <laughs> no idea that literally, as you know, I would preach the gospel all over the world. I had no clue. I wasn't even going to be a pastor then. It's called tough love. You see, watch this. If you treat a fake Christian like they are a Christian, you will give them the false assurance they are a Christian. And they will be part of the group 
in Matthew 7, 23, that will stand before Jesus saying, did I not go to church? Did I not do this, that, and the other? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. This is the danger with being loving and compassionate towards someone who is a false Christian who actually thinks they're a Christian and you just accept them that way. You're condoning their life. It is maybe the most unloving thing we can do because we're pushing them more and more into a deceptive standing, thinking they're actually saved. When you know deep down they're not. Whew. And this is my dad just facing up, manning up. If he would not have manned up at that moment with great prayer, and the, one of the hardest things you could do is look at a son who's, who's literally just gotten stitched up, whose girlfriend is leaving him, and say, you got a week. He did that out of love. It's tough love. If he wouldn't have done that, I don't know. If I would even be here today, I, I don't know. God is gracious and kind and mysterious in how he saves, but he used that in my life, and he uses it in a lot of people's lives. A lot of people need a wake-up call. Here's the game-changer challenge, and this is maybe something you've never thought about. What if the greatest thing you could do for someone is to have nothing to do with them? <laughs> wow. It's called tough love. What if the greatest thing you can do for someone in your life who's playing the game, who's manifesting the traits that Paul talked about here, let's talk about this a little bit. Here's Jesus. Here's this rich young ruler, and he comes to Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know the law. I'm summarizing and he says, I've kept it. Jesus looked at him with love. Love. Great love. And he zeroes in on the guy's sin. He's not a Christian. This rich young ruler's not going to heaven. He thinks he's got it all. Jesus says, you go sell everything you have. Give to the poor. And then you come and follow me. Jesus didn't gloss over it. This guy come to him and say, Jesus did not say, oh, come and follow me. Just, just who cares about your sin? No, Jesus said, you change your life. You get your life in order. Then you come and follow me. You repent of this idol in your life. Then you follow me. It's called tough love. Jesus had so much tender love for sinners. If you did not know Christ and you knew it, you were loved by Jesus unconditionally. It was unbelievable. Jesus, the Bible says, was a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. Who were the people that Jesus showed consistent, tough love to? They were known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders, not saved. They thought they were. They were hypocrites. They claimed to be Christians, but they were not. And Jesus had scathing, tough love for him. You read Matthew 23. Seven times, seven woes are there listed toward these Pharisees, these hypocrites. And beloved, I, I don't know what this is all saying to you. <laughs> I mean, it's a challenge for me to integrate this into my life. I just know the great apostle Paul is mentoring me right now. And one of the life coach lessons 
is having nothing to do with certain people. Show tough love to especially those who claim to be Christians, but they're not. Their life denies that fact. They're taking advantage and they're rebelling against Jesus and God's word. What if the greatest thing you could do for someone, that type of person, is have nothing to do with them? Wow. This command is in the middle voice, which means Paul is saying, Timothy, have nothing to do with certain people. You have to make yourself make that choice because naturally you want to show love, but true love is distancing yourself, and it's in the middle voice. This is something you have to go against the tide because society just says, ah, accept them. Who cares? That's deep. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today's Life Coach lesson. We are called at times, Lord, to have nothing to do with certain people. And that's going to take different forms. Sometimes it's going to be a dad that just says, son, you got a week. And you need to be out of the house. And I'm grateful for that moment. But grant us the wisdom, the grace, and the courage to apply this advice, Lord, to any relationship that you may be speaking to us about. Because I know deep down, Lord, you're speaking to some of us about this is love. And this is the kind of love that someone may need in our lives. I want to pray that God would give you wisdom if that's you this morning. If you right now, um, if you're saying, Pastor, I need prayer, I need wisdom to apply this, and I don't even know how right now in a relationship, would you raise your hand if you're saying, I want you to pray for me, I need wisdom? <laughs> see many hands. Well, this is what I want to invite you to do, and you're watching on video as well, whether it's in a small group, right now around your tables, would you just take a moment and quietly, in your own heart, and the Bible says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask of God who gives generously to all. You take a moment and just pray that God would give you wisdom to apply this kind of tough love concept. You pray, and then I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, uh, I'm so glad we have your word to rely on. It is a rock, and it's a foundation we can build our lives on. We can parent this way, and we can have a marriage this way, and live in society this way, and be the church your way as we follow your word. And, Lord, you tell us if anyone lacks wisdom, ask of God, and you'll give it. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Many have raised their hands. And, Lord, we hear your word, and we uh, the, the truth resonates with us, but then it's needing wisdom to carry this out in love. And I just pray, God, that you would grant that to each and every one who is praying this for themselves right now. Lord, this could be a complete life-changing moment for someone that we do love. And I, I pray that you would lead us to apply this uh, in our lives and through our lives in these relationships. And we do this because we love people. 
and we want to honor your word. So thank you for what you'll do. Thank you for your word. Sometimes uh, the lessons are kind of tough truths that we really have to wrestle with. And I just pray, O oh God, that you would give wisdom. I thank you, O oh God, for a dad and a mom who prayed for months before they made such a statement. But it came across loving, and I'm here today because of it, and I'm so grateful. And I could pray, I pray, Lord, I could be the same type of a man, same type of a father, who would extend at times that dimension of love to others. Help us all, Lord. All God's people said.